This is episode 377 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. Today's article, Pros and Cons of Being a Member of a Survival Community. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, this episode is sponsored by my ebook, The Preparedness Community's Guide to a Microbiz and Increasing Your Finances. When you purchase the ebook, you also get lifetime access to the Prepper Website forums. And with all the stuff that's going on on social media, that's really the place to be. If you'd like some more information, you can click on the link in the show notes or come on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. All right, so let's go ahead and jump into our article of the podcast. It comes to us from survivalpedia.com. And again, it's entitled Pros and Cons of Being a Member of a Survival Community. A lot of good stuff here. And then I have uh, quite a lot to say at the end, uh, some ideas to, to kind of give you. Uh, that I have thought through and processed uh, myself, and so hopefully they'll be helpful to you. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Gun grabber rhetoric, seesawing stock markets, and caravans of illegal immigrants heading towards the U.S. border are making people more concerned than ever about what the future holds. As both foreign and domestic issues continue to increase in severity, more people are considering joining a survival community. Before you even begin looking into these options, it is a good idea to know what advantages and disadvantages you will be dealing with. So online versus physical prepper communities. More than a few preppers pay little attention to online survival communities because a time of physical need requires tangible items such as food, water, shelter, and medicine. Unfortunately, no matter how connected you may feel to someone living hundreds of miles away, it won't do much good when it comes to gathering food or meeting other immediate needs. As we have seen in places like Texas, Puerto Rico, and Florida, when tragedy strikes, it is the people in the area that must do what they can with the resources they have on hand. No matter how many people from the outside want to help, there is both a time and a geographical bottleneck that makes it hard to achieve these goals. That all being said, we cannot base all survival-based models on natural disasters or war zones. The destruction of social fabric, riots, EMPs, and invasions are all situations that demand being as mobile as possible. In these and other situations, having a distant bug-out location may be one of your most valuable resources. Online survival communities can help you link to people in places where you can go in time of need. Depending on how you connect with others, it may even be possible to create arrangements that make it possible to create a web of stockpile caches and other resources. In a time of need, those who don't have the necessities can and will become desperate and try to steal from those that do. What happens when you are the only person in your neighborhood with electricity, food, and water? No matter how many guns and other weapons you have, it is not realistic for one person to fend off hundreds of people per day for weeks to months on end. While you may want to be as solitary as possible or only work with your own family, these strategies will fail if you are in a town or city setting. If you live in these areas, it may be a good idea to move now or make sure that you can evacuate to a survival community. 
At the very least, if there are large numbers of people, there is a better chance of being among people that have experience with defense perimeters and staving off small to medium-sized attacks. This includes having the weapons, ammunition, and support gear required to withstand these kinds of problems. Aside from security-related issues, grouping together with other preppers increases the chance of having access to vital resources that would not be available to you as an individual. For example, if you cannot afford tractors or other kinds of farming equipment, it may be possible for a group of people to put the money together and then share the machinery. One of the hardest parts of being a prepper is that you must be a jack and master of all trades. When you start making a list based on even the most common fundamentals such as providing food, water, shelter, and medicine, you will see that there are dozens of things to learn in each category. By the time you factor in person and stockpile defense, transportation, developing skills for barter, waste management, clothing, and dealing with modern environmental pollution, it becomes impossible to learn all you need in just a few weeks or months. To add insult to injury, a good percentage of videos and how-to guides are either completely wrong and will cause failure when you try to use them, or are so confusing you cannot possibly get the right series of steps for success. Unless you have a diverse background and experience or dedicate yourself to this field most of the time, the odds of surviving as a solitary prepper may be much lower than you wish to believe. On the other hand, it is entirely possible to develop your skill in one or two areas and be assured of both your skills and resources. For example, if you already know how to prepare your own meals from scratch, it is not especially difficult to expand into growing your own food sustainably taking advantage of natural foods, and learning how to design and use solar ovens. Someone else that has experience in first aid or works in the medical field can adapt to working with herbal medicines or alternative methods that can be used to help people in time of need. When people with necessary skills join together to form a survival community, everyone benefits. In this case, you would simply expand your food-related skills to feed two or more people, which leaves the medically inclined person to manage illness and injuries. While cross-training and having some working knowledge of all key survival skills is important, focusing on one spe specialty is also very important for long-term survival and improved chances of arriving at the best solution for each task. When people first find out about prepping and survival, they tend to believe that it is only about individual safety. The fact remains, however, the vast majority of us aren't thinking just about ourselves. It is likely to be spouses, children, grandchildren, and even extended family members that we are most hoping to survive or to see survive a major disaster. Even if you are able to convince family members to engage in prepping activities, that doesn't mean your work is done. What happens five or ten years down the road when children and grandchildren are looking for spouses of their own? If you are not part of a survival community and a large-scale disaster occurs, the next generation will never be born unless you find another pocket of survivors. At the very least, if you aren't interested in joining a larger survival community, you should at least look for a group that has 10 to 15 families in it and a suitable number of people across all age groups. No matter how you look at it, surviving a major crisis is always going to be about making sure that the next generation will be strong healthy, and able to produce yet another generation. The only way you can guarantee that is to be in a survival community or make sure that you can travel to one easily enough from an isolated bug out location. 
In the absence of a strong central currency and established rules for trading, land is the most valuable commodity. The more land you can control and use for producing food and other necessities, the greater chance you have of surviving and thriving. Unfortunately, no matter how many acres of land you can farm by yourself or how many things you can make, it won't matter much if you can't protect those assets or trade upwards in terms of value. Since survival communities have a large number of people and resources to work with, they can also effectively control large amounts of land. In a time of major social collapse, strong groups will be able to overcome attacks more easily and will also stand a better chance of producing leaders that are strong enough and capable enough to unify large numbers of people. No matter how many times societies restart from scratch, they must always go through the same stages. Inevitably, the more land you have to start with at the beginning of social grouping and reconstruction, the better chance you and the group has of getting ahead. As harsh as it may seem, smaller groups with fewer resources will always be the ones targeted for destruction and winnowing out. While there may be strange turns of fate, even a very strong solitary survivor will eventually need the support and resources of a larger group of people and the assets they control. In the event of large-scale or prolonged social disruption, recovery is likely to happen faster in a survival community. Overall, you will find that established prepper communities don't advertise their presence, let alone how to get into them. There are also less well-established communities that may still be looking for people with certain skills and assets. It is also still entirely possible for groups of people to buy land and organize before a major collapse occurs. Once a community achieves self-sufficiency and does not require any input or contact with outside people, there is a very good chance it and its members will not be disrupted by anything going on outside the group. For example, if a survival community is completely hardened against EMP attack, can grow its own food, and has sufficient underground resources, even a nuclear attack will not cause the community to break apart. In fact, short of natural disaster in the exact area or major invasion and occupation by hostile forces, a well-established community should be able to go on regardless of the destruction happening elsewhere. On the surface, there are many advantages to being in a survival community. Unfortunately, there are some hidden factors that can easily make joining such a group one of the worst decisions of your life. To begin, it is important to recognize that the prepper mentality is unique. People with our mindset are inclined to be thinkers, pioneers, and firm believers in independence. While we can take orders, that doesn't mean we want people controlling our lives or constantly telling us that we have to give up personal aims for the good of society. For most preppers, the strength of a group isn't necessarily defined by the strongest members. Rather, like a link in a chain, the group may be seen as only being as strong as its weakest member. Needless to say, this can lead to all kinds of problems when the group leader makes a different assessment about what is most important and how to allocate resources. If a time of trouble comes to the community, a leader that has to make a difficult decision can easily become a dictator or a tyrant. Throughout time, we have seen this problem in communities and societies of all sizes. No matter where you look, power corrupts. The more power or potential for power there is, the faster and more severe the corruption will be. Right now, a survival community may look free and independent compared to living in a city or some other area that is heavily regulated. You may even like the community leaders and find them to be good, honest people with a fine sense of humor. 
This can change very quickly in extreme situations. While you and others may expect the leaders to take charge, there always comes a point when someone else will want control or the group will no longer see a need for such rigid control. A leader who is accustomed to leading, however, may have a hard time letting go and returning to a more relaxed form of leadership. Sadly, even if outside events don't necessarily affect the community, that doesn't mean leaders won't look to increase their control of the group. After all, where will members who are ostracized go when there is no safe place or path to another location? This is just one place where power and its corruption can destroy model survival communities. Paying taxes, buying equipment, training, and achieving self-sufficiency all take a good bit of money. In addition, established survival communities also want to choose the best people they can to join their ranks. This means they will look for people that are financially successful and can support them in a range of goals. As a result, you will find that it can be very expensive to join a survival community and remain a member. In order to be part of some communities, you may have to invest a good bit in terms of time and assets. This may include contributing to stockpiles, going to the community for practicing various skills, and taking on other responsibilities. While all of these things are important for you and the group, that does not mean you will find it easy to fulfill your obligations to the group. Remember, for them, it may be a full-time occupation, yet for you, prepping may be more of a weekend project or something you are barely managing to fit into your budget. If you think that joining a prepper community will be cheaper and easier than prepping on your own, you may find it doesn't work that way. As efficient as it may be to pool resources for expensive items, every person must still contribute in order to reach those goals. Depending on the size and demographics of the community, it may still be outside of your budget, especially if you cannot live on the land right now. Have you ever given someone an item to keep safe only to find out they lost it, sold it off, or damaged it in some way? Unfortunately, when you put your money into a survival community but don't take part in the day-to-day operations, there is a chance you will lose your investment. Aside from outright scams, some groups may be irresponsible in terms of paying their taxes or making sure that the land is properly zoned to enable suitable freedoms for preppers. This and other financial and legal problems can easily create a situation where the land will be unavailable for you or for your use now as well as in a time of need. Not so long ago, it was not especially difficult to buy food, water, and other stockpile needs without fear of being tracked by business or government agencies that might be or might have an interest in these reserves. Electronic banking, credit cards, prepaid debit cards, increased reliance on facial recognition surveillance systems, and x-ray package scanners make it very hard to keep prepper communities and their stockpiles off the radar. Sadly, Many community leaders and members aren't even thinking about the digital footprint they are leaving behind and may even consider it paranoid to consider the consequences. Responsible community managers must also consider a wide range of needs that must be met in a self-sufficient setting. An inability to search for and cultivate useful members as well as invest in the proper tools and building structures can all spell disaster. At the same time, keeping the location of the community sufficiently off the radar can also be a complicated task. More than a few survival communities are at high risk in a time of need simply because people from diverse areas know exactly where the compound is and what kind of resources are available there. Rest assured, if desperate people will go after small caches hidden in houses, they will also join together to attack larger compounds that offer even bigger rewards. 
No matter how big the survival community is, it is still best to choose one that is well hidden and not well known about. At first glance, you may believe that FEMA will target survival compounds only after a major disaster occurs in order to commandeer vital stockpile resources. It should be noted, however, that we are living in times where power struggle prior to social collapse are changing the way that government agencies may look at survival communities. In particular, did you know that 50% of all guns held by civilians are actually owned by just 3% of the population? If you give some thought to this statistic, you may arrive at the conclusion that some of this 3% may be larger scale survival communities. When paired with large amounts of land and other assets, this creates a situation where those who are expecting to rebuild faster after a major disaster and regain power will not want to compete with groups this large. It is, perhaps, this reason more than any other government agencies might consider dismantling large survival communities even before a major disaster occurs. Unfortunately, it is hard to say if smaller communities will be able to slip under the radar and remain free from top to mid priority targeting. There is no question that our government is having a difficult time dealing with both domestic and foreign adversaries. Food shortages, floods, earthquakes, and other natural disasters are not making it any easier to navigate through these difficult times. No matter how many jobs our economy creates, the fact remains each person and family in our country must think seriously about what will happen when there is no one to grow food or make other items available for purchase. As much as you may want to consider prepping as a solitary task, it may be of some use to consider survival communities and what they have to offer. At the very least, you can think more about networking with other people online that have similar beliefs and see if there is a way to pull skills and resources for a time of need. All right, so uh, there's comments, a couple of comments here. Let me go ahead and talk. Uh, I think it's a good good uh, article that you should read and consider. Maybe read carefully, slowly, all that good stuff. I have a couple of thoughts here that I want to um, to to move forward on and hope, you know, I didn't, I didn't write them down. So hopefully I remember them all uh, as we, as we move forward. First of all, the idea of uh, connecting with preppers online, like really connecting with them, that is something that is very possible to do. Um, you know, we have Facebook groups and people start to know each other and all that kind of stuff. I mean, you, you know, there's only a certain limit to how you can know someone, you know, on the Facebook group. Sometimes there's, you know, back and forth, you know, you're, you're ribbing each other and, and that kind of stuff. And you have fun. You get to know them. Maybe you, you like each other on Facebook and you get to see each other's posts and different things like that. But uh, I'm coming from a different, uh, a different area, right? So before I got into preparedness, um, when I was younger, (laughs) uh, a lot younger, I used to do online gaming. And I started out, and I've talked about this before, I started out playing uh, a game called Medal of Honor Allied Assault. And my wife bought it for me. It was like a Christmas present. Uh, You know, it was cheap or whatever. And uh, I was able to play it. So I started playing it on my computer. Really liked it. It was like that first, uh, you know, first person shooter game whatever. But then after going through it and playing against the computer, you, you got really uh, bored with it, right? Because it's the same type of stuff. And you got kind of good at doing that and fighting against the computer. Well, then you realize that you can connect online. And back then we had dial up. And so we would dial up and we would connect and, and we would go into, you know, to, into a server. Someone would have a server and you would play against 
other players. So these are real life players that you're playing against. So that takes it up again uh, a notch, right? Because the computer has a certain algorithm, there a certain program that it's running. But when you throw live people into the mix, it, it takes it up a whole nother notch. And so it was a lot of fun. And so you would find those servers that were really good that a lot of people were at and uh you know that they were run you know well and and all that kind of stuff and so uh as i did that i connected with a couple of people online that i i I seem to uh, play games with them throughout the years and so some of these people i played games with like man it was like 10 12 years and we moved from games like medal of honor i think we moved to counter-strike source then we moved to call of duty and then towards the end, we were playing like Left 4 Dead or whatever. But one of the guys that I played with was really smart and uh, could modify all the servers. And so he would do a lot of cool stuff, and it was fun. And people always wanted to come to the servers. So it was a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, we would connect online, and we had different uh, – there was different like X-Fire. We would use X-Fire to connect. And so we would – a lot of the times before we even started our games, we would be talking online and so, you know, you would you would put the, the headphones on and, and you would open up your software and you would see that they were online and like you would join the channel. And so you're talking, hey, how's your day? How's, you know, how's, how's things going? How's this and that, whatever. And you began to, I mean, over 10 to 12 years, you began to, to have a relationship with these other people that you knew them. You knew them really well, right? And so I, I think when, when I'm thinking about online communities and really getting to know people, that's you know that's very possible because I knew these people really really well. Now when I uh, got into preparedness and I started going that route, I stopped playing so much online uh, games and things like that. And uh, I, I think the the thing that really did me in was I was letting my kids on my computer, which I never do. And uh, they started downloading other little games and stuff, and it slowed down and viruses and all that kind of stuff. And I think eventually. My uh, oh, that that's what it was. My monitor. I had a big monitor. It, it finally pooped out on me, and uh, and so by that time I was already using my laptop a lot, and so I didn't I didn't wind up uh, replacing that, and it just kind of all fell apart. But uh, I had that experience where I could connect with people, and you know there was some real relationships there. So that's very easy to do. The thing is, like, where do you go to find that? Uh, you know, uh, with all the, the stuff with social media and stuff happening, you could have a, you know, if you build it around like a Facebook group and uh, a preparedness Facebook group, and then Zuckerberg decides to, you know what, I don't like these preppers or they're kind of patriotic and they're kind of this and that. And uh, yeah, we don't want any of that stuff around here. So we're going to get rid of them. And so they close down the group and then you don't connect anymore. That's why, again, I, I created the forums and, uh, you know, they're there so you can connect with other people there and, and stuff like that. Here's the next thing that I want to say. You are not going to find a survival community online that you can connect with as far as like, hey, you know, is there like a yellow pages of survival communities? That's not going to happen. There are some websites out there. There might be some forums out there that will connect people in states and cities and things like that. But there is no place where you can go and like, uh, you know, find a, you know, like, hey, hey, uh, you know, uh, Four, four member family, blah, 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 live in Texas, love to connect with other people, long walks in the woods, blah, blah, blah. You're not, you're not going to find anything like that, right? Just because of the nature of how things are. You're going to have to create your own survival group. You're going to have to, to, to figure that out and find that out. And so let me give you a way that you can do that. 
You're going to have to take responsibility. You're going to have to to take the uh, the initiative to, in in order to do that. So when I envision doing this, I envision doing it in a place where with people that are already like minded like me. And so because I am a Christian, I am you know I'm very tied into that. I would I would start doing this within my church, right? So the first thing that I would do, I would, I would go to the church leadership if you are not a leader in that church. And ask for permission to be able to teach some classes, right? And you approach it this way. Hey, pastor. Hey, leader. Hey, board. Whatever. Um, I, I'd like to uh, offer some classes in the evening times around self-reliance, self-sufficiency, or maybe even you don't even say those words. You say around gardening, around, you know, those types of things. Because, you know, people are more, they're going to a more organic lifestyle. And if we, I can, you know, teach some classes on gardening, or if I can teach some, you know, classes on some, some skills, some things like candle making, you know, uh, making your own bread, you know, whatever, you know, those types of things, which you are going to be drawing people in that, that have that mindset of like, hey, I want to know how to do these things, these self-sufficient, self-reliant type things, right? And so the way that you would sell this to the leadership is, you know, we do this, you know, we, we call out people in the community, we make it open, we bring people in, and uh, while they're here, you know, maybe we give them a little bit of information on the church, and we invite them to church on Sunday, right? And we're making we're making connections with the community. It is an outreach. We're providing uh, lessons and training and all that kind of stuff. So, if there was a pastor in it with with any sense in his own mind, he would say, uh, "Go for that." You know, if you have someone who is wanting to do something like that, where you can open it up to the community and invite people in, and uh, you know, let people come into the church and experience the church in on a low-key level, then yeah, they should be all for that, right? There's going to be some that are just ding-dongs. I know those types of pastors. I've been around those pastors that and board members that don't want their church soiled during the week, and so they don't open it up to anybody, and those they're, they're idiots. But anyway, if I had a church building, I would have it open all the time and have all kinds of things going on in there, right? I would want it to be uh, a lighthouse in the community, so you offer to do these classes, you start advertising, you start getting it out there. And while you're doing that, you're probably in, inviting people from the church as well. So you're bringing people from the church as well as other people uh, from the community. And you're starting to not only teach, you, you are teaching that is something that you're doing. You are learning, you are, uh, you know, you're, you're learning these skills and you are preparing presentations and you're teaching people and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it's like you're uh, under cover, you are checking people out on, hey, do they believe like I believe? Are they saying things about self-reliance? Maybe that, you know, trigger words that uh, that get me to believe that not only do they want to know how to make bread, but they're wanting to know how to cook from scratch because maybe they are storing up, you know, uh, wheat, you know, wheat berries and, and they have a grinder and they, they want to know how to do this type of stuff if for whatever reason their stores aren't open and they can't get bread anymore, right? Or they're wanting to garden because, um, you know, they want to have their own food just in case the trucks stop rolling. 
all that kind of stuff. So you're lo- you're looking for all those types of triggers and you start to connect with those people. You start bringing those people into your inner circle. You start bringing them in other than just the training that you're doing and in, in meeting with them. You start to hang out with them. They start to become your friends. They start to become your inner circle. You go out to eat after church. You invite them over for dinner. You start doing stuff with the family, all that type of stuff, right? That's how you build your survival community you with people that you know people that you can uh, you have something in common they live in your area you know these people are going to live in your area Um, if they're going to your church even better because you know that they believe the way that you believe for the most part you're not just you know having someone uh, answer uh, you know an ad in the paper hey yeah I'd like to be part of your survival community and you don't know anything about them right so this is a very low key way to get it out there. Not only are you learning and you're you know you're adding to your knowledge of preparedness and self reliance and uh, all that good stuff. You're providing materials. You're doing that, but you're also connecting with people. And uh, the more word that you can get out there, more people that can come uh, and people in your in your church. You know, and you could do do a spiritual spin on it as well. You can do a little Bible study ahead of time. You can, you know, uh, throw scripture verses in there. You can pray before and pray afterwards, and and all that good stuff, right? I mean, you can do that. And I'm not saying that's being deceitful. I'm just saying if it's part of the church and you're wanting to to really have it as an outreach, you can include all those types of things. But at the same time, you're checking out people and you're adding people to your survival group and your inner circle as you do that. Now, if you are not a church person, maybe you belong to a synagogue, maybe you uh, you some community, um, you know, some community group that you belong to, uh, or maybe there is a, a community center that you can go and they'll let you rent out rooms and you can start offering classes. You can kind of do the same thing. Um, it, it wouldn't be around uh, a faith or anything like that, but you are starting to get to know people. And as you get to know them and you get to spend time with them, I mean, you, you do a class and then you're like, hey, let's go out to, for some coffee, right? And as you're going out for coffee, you're getting to know them, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And then you bring them into your survival community. If they're people that you believe, you know, have the same beliefs as you, you feel you can invite them to know more about you. Right. All right. So that's kind of where I would go there. You got to take the initiative. There's not going to be a website where you can go to. I get this question a lot, guys, where people are like, hey, I I need to find a group that I can belong to. And like, you're not going to find that. You need to make your own. You need to take the initiative. You need to do it. And it's not hard to do. You just need to, to take the initiative uh, to, to get it started, right? And so uh, just be proactive on that. And who knows what will happen and what will come about. Not only, like I said, will you learn because you're teaching, but you know you might find some really great friends and build some really great relationships. Now, one more thing I want to say about this before I uh, you know, sign off for the week. I get a lot of people who who email me and who uh, leave messages, even like on, on videos and different articles that I've written and things like that. And they say, Todd, I am disabled. I want to be prepared. I know that I need to be prepared. And, and uh, I, I want to find a group, but I'm disabled. I can't, maybe I'm in a wheelchair. I can't do all those types of things, right? 
Guys, this is the way to do that. So if you are listening to this podcast and you are disabled, you are in a wheelchair, you are older uh, and you just can't get around, you know that you're not going to bug out. You know that you're not going to, uh, you know, go out into the woods and you're not going to be able to chop, you know, chop a lot of wood or maybe you're not going to be able to, you know, spend hours out gardening and, and on patrol or whatever, right? All that kind of stuff. You can do exactly what I just said. You can still offer offer classes. Even if you are in a wheelchair, you do the research, you learn, you, you create a presentation, right? And you start doing this exact same thing. Now, if people see you as a person that has knowledge because you are doing these presentations and because you are you know creating these, these trainings and, and all that, you're bringing people in, then they're going to want you as part of their group because you have all that knowledge. So if you are disabled and you're older, maybe you can walk and, and maybe you walk with a cane. Maybe you, you, know, you have a limp or, or whatever. You have health problems. Whatever it might be, you can do this easily. Again, it takes a little bit of initiative. It takes a little bit of learning and preparing a speech, preparing a talk, preparing a training, a 30, 45 minute training where you're bringing people in and maybe you have some props, maybe you have all whatever it is, but you can start offering these and at the same time you are checking people out on, you know, on their abilities, you know, do you mesh with them? Can you bring them into your inner circle and maybe you start bring, you know, bringing people together for a group and then because you are the one who brought uh, all the, all of them together and you made that happen, yeah, they would want you to be a part of that, right? So that is one way that, you know, a lot of people haven't talked about that, that you can do if you're disabled, uh, you're older, or even if you're in a wheelchair, you can do this um, very, very easily in your area, in your community. Uh, and so you can make that happen. Well, guys, that's a lot there uh, towards that end. A lot of information I kind of threw at you, but uh, hopefully you find it beneficial and, and you find it a viable solution to build a survival community or build at least find some friends, people that you can count on uh, in, in that way. And so, uh, you know, there you have it as we end another week of podcast episodes. I'm so glad that you've hung out with me all this week. Hey, uh, don't forget that if you are looking for more preparedness information, you can come on over to PrepperWebsite.com. I have a link in the show notes. And uh, you can easily come on over and find tons of preparedness articles. And uh, again, specific to uh, alternative news. I mean, you guys, you want to stay up on what's going on, especially with all the junk that's going on out there. You know, alternative news and firearms, frugal living, DIY, on top of all the preparedness and homesteading and bushcraft and survival articles that we post every single day. And so just a lot of good stuff for you out there if you are looking for more preparedness information. So, um, you know, don't hesitate to come on over and uh, check us out at PrepperWebsite.com. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 377. Again, thanks so much for hanging out. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the show. Head on over to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. That way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And take a moment to connect with me. I have a ton of ways to connect in the show notes. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.